Look at your neighbor and say, good morning, neighbor. Say, are you ready for God's word today? Hopefully they said yes. I need you to keep looking at your neighbor. I need you to warn your neighbor. He's got more than three points today. Warn them. Warn them. They need to know. He's got more than three points today. And so, neighbor, we got to keep our hearts open. Amen? Amen. Some of you are looking nervous. Here's what we'll do. I'll preach fast. You listen fast. And we might still beat the Methodist to the buffet. Amen? Amen and amen. Uh, First Kings... We find the story of Elijah. I love Elijah. Elijah, he's like us. You know, Elijah wasn't anybody special. You look at 1 Kings 17 and verse number 1, Elijah just kind of pops on the scene. He he comes out of nowhere. He's Elijah the Tishbite. His name has the idea that Tishbite, he's a a stranger. He's a a sojourner. He's he's not one that has any sort of pedigree or long-standing belonging. Elijah wasn't anybody special. Yet, yet, God used him in a special way. Elijah was a man both of great strength and of great struggle. If you read 1 Kings 18, which I'd encourage you to read the chapter in its entirety, at the beginning of the chapter, this man Elijah points his finger in the face of King Ahab. King Ahab looks at him and says, Oh, Elijah, are you, are you really that one who troubles me so? And Elijah looks at him and he says, Buddy, I'm not the trouble around here. You are in your father's house in your wicked rebellion. At the end of the chapter, Elijah takes the 450 prophets of Baal and kills them all. Now that's a man of some strength. And yet when one woman got mad, he took off running. Now, that's a a different discussion for a different time. Uh, But Elijah was a man of great strength, and he was a man who knew great struggles. And yet, though he was a man who faced ups and downs in his life, spiritually and emotionally and physically, he was a man that God used mightily. And church, I tell you, that excites me. I don't have to be significant in the eyes of the world for God to use me. And I don't have to be sufficient in the eyes of the world for God to use me. Elijah was a man like us. Yet he was a man that God used. And here in 1 Kings 18, we find that God called, sent down fire from heaven in response to Elijah's call to worship. Now, fire is an important symbol throughout the Bible. We see it in a number of places. We see it uh, when the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai and the presence of God came down upon that mount. It came down in the form of a consuming fire. We see it over in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Uh, we, we see those cloven tongues of fire. Fire is an important symbol throughout the Bible. But let's be careful, church, lest, lest we get carried away with this. There, there are some people and there are sometimes, oh, we want the fire, we want the fire, we want the fire. They have no idea what they're talking about. What is the fire? Well, you know, the fire represents something. It represents, number one, God's presence. It represents, number two, God's purity. It represents, number three, God's power. It represents, number four, God's pleasure. Beloved, that's what I want in my life. That's what I want in my home. That's what I want in this church. I want the presence of God in my life. I want the presence of God in my home. I want the presence of God in my church. I want God's purifying work in my life. I want God's purifying work in my home. I want God's purifying work in this church. 
Boy, I want God's power. And I want God to be pleased with me. Don't you want God to be pleased with us? That's what the fire represents. The presence of God, the purity of God, the power of God, the pleasure of God. And we see that God sent down fire from heaven in response to Elijah's call to worship. Now, not all worship yields such results. I think that's important to note. It matters who you worship. It matters what you worship, amen? It matters how you worship. In fact, if you look at the verses preceding this, beginning in verse number 25, you're going to see that the prophets of Baal worshipped their God first. And they built an altar, and they chose a bull, and they cut it up, and they began to pray unto Baal. And so you can just kind of scroll through those. And, and we see when Baal, they came to worship. You know, Baal brought numbers. 450 priests. Boy, isn't it exciting when a lot of people get around? Boy, you get the place packed out. Isn't that good? But guess what? Worship's not about numbers. Worship's not about numbers. Baal brought the numbers. They also brought the show. It's, history teaches us that when Baal would begin to worship, that they would bring instruments that would, that would imitate the sounds of thunder. Boom, boom, boom. They would bring things that would imitate the, 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 the look of lightning. And Buddy, they brought the show. I'm going to tell you, the show is not what matters to God. Oh, they had the numbers. They had the show. They had some intensity about them. As you look at it, and it's up there on the screen, right there, you can keep it right there. The Bible said in verse 27 that they, at a certain point, they begin to leap upon the altar. Now you think about that. What were they trying to get Baal to do? Send down fire from heaven. And yet they were jumping on the very place they were hoping he would send down fire. I, I think they had some intensity to them. You, you see there that at a certain point, they began to cut themselves until the blood gushed out upon them. They had some intensity. But it's not the intensity that matters to God. You know what? Perhaps many of them even had some sincerity. You read the chapter. They did this for about nine hours. Some of us struggle to do like one hour in church, right? And yet they did this for nine hours. Might I submit today that even sincerity, you can be sincerely wrong. And if you give yourself to sincerely worshiping that which is wrong, then I'm going to tell you it does not please God. None of that yielded anything for them. It was an exercise in futility because Baal is a false god. Church, it matters who we worship. Church, it matters how we worship. Commandments 1 and 2 still teach us that. And here's what we can't afford to settle for, church. You and I, in 2022, we cannot settle for form without the fire. We can't settle just to go through the motions and to miss the presence of God in our lives, and to miss the purifying work of God in our lives, and to miss the power of God in our lives, and to live in such a way that God is not pleased with us. What is this all about if we settle for form without fire? 
But church, if we want to keep that presence and that purity and that power, we want to keep God's hand upon this place. You know what? We need to hear and heed the call to worship today. So let's look at this. We're going to be, pick up in verse number 30. There the Bible says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he, what are those next two words, church? He repaired the altar. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Church, if you and I are going to heed the call to worship today, we're going to have to understand, first of all, that the call to worship is a call to renewal. The call to worship is a call to renewal. Elijah started by repairing the altar. You see, there were some things that had fallen away and needed to be addressed. It didn't need to be excused. It didn't need to be swept under the rug. No, it needed to be addressed. And there was some renewal that needed to take place for the nation of Israel. And so Elijah started in his call to worship. He started by repairing the altar. How many of us understand that things in life tend to disorder and decay? It is a law of physics that things tend to a disorder and decay, that, that law of entropy, if you will. But, but it is the reality that we live all the time. If you don't believe me, just look at your house after lunch today. <laughs> things tend to disorder and decay. One of our children on uh, Friday morning got up. They knew Grandma and Grandpa was coming on Saturday. They knew the baby was coming on Monday. And they looked at the house, and before they left for school, they sighed and said, So much to do, so little time. Why? Because things in life tend to disorder and decay. You look at the house, you look at the kids' room, you look at life in general. Things, they they break down, they wear out, they fall away. And I'm going to tell you, it's not just a principle of physics. It's true of our hearts too, isn't it? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The psalmist cried out in Psalm 119 verse 5. He said, oh that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Because we are so prone to wander. And so the call to worship is a call to renewal. Could I put it this way for us this morning? Worship requires honesty. It requires honesty. Because the thing about worship, you look at Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, tell us something about worship. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. But I know so often the case that that is not really a very apt description of me. But you know what we're prone to do? We're prone to act like, for the most part, we are okay. Oh, you know, we've got our issues here and there, but by and large, we're good. We're doing okay. You know, church, the reality is, we are not. Paul put it this way. In Romans 7, beginning in verse 18, he said, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He said, for the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. 
And if we're going to answer the call to worship, we've got to understand it's a, a call to renewal because worship requires honesty. I need cleansing. I need renewal. Psalm 51 in verse number 10, the psalmist cried. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I am in need of repair. Not my brother, not my sister, but me. You ever think about the fact that God knows me? He knows me. He knows my struggle. He knows my sin. He knows the sin which so easily besets me. And God knows me. And here's the thing. God doesn't want fake me. Worship requires honesty. And if we want God to get real with us, don't you think it's high time we get real with God? As John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 8, if we say that we have no sin, what does it say, church? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I'm going to tell you, you can't live in this wicked world very long before you need cleansing. You can't live very long fighting against your flesh before you need renewal. So worship requires honesty. Hear me, church, it's a call to renewal. What's broken down in your life? What's causing that decay? What is eating away at your soul? The Bible says that Elijah repaired the altar. Look at me at verse number 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be my name. So, church, a call to worship, number one, is a call to... Renewal. Number one, it is a call to renewal. Number two, a call to worship is a call to reconciliation. It is a call to reconciliation. You say, preacher, where do you get that? Verse number 31, we just read the Bible says Elijah took 12 stones. He used one stone for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now this is significant because Elijah lived and ministered during the time of the divided kingdom. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, which was the 12 tribes. And then you had the southern uh, kingdom of Judah, which had two tribes. It was kind of like, if you would, the American Civil War, except they really broke up. And they really made two different countries. And so they didn't really have anything to do with one another. So if Elijah, who was in the north, was being politically correct, he would have used ten stones. But Elijah used twelve. Because it's that statement that God doesn't want his people divided. God doesn't want his people divided. And so a call to worship is a call to reconciliation. Church, our unity matters to God. 
Our unity matters to God. Now hear me, unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is where we all look the same, and we all think the same, and we all like the same things, and that's not what God requires. We don't all need to brush our hair the same way, and we don't all need to, to, uh, to, to do all the same things and like the same things and have the same preferences. We're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. Well, then what's unity? Unity is when we allow a common passion, a common purpose, and common principles to align us together. This, this commonality that draws us is greater than the differences that divide us. The Bible kind of gives illustration of this in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse number 6. Uh, verse number 3, sorry, through 6. Where we're called to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then it begins to tell us what are those unifying things that we have. Well, we have one body and we have one Spirit. Go back to verse Verse number four, if you would. One body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. There is, verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse number six, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so these things, these, these common passions and common principles and, and commonalities, they, they are greater in their draw than the differences that seek to divide. In other words, what God, God, sorry, who He is, God, what He has done for us, God, what He has given to us, God, what He has taught us, ought to always be greater than your grief with another. It's easy to amen, it's hard to do. God, who He is, God, what he's done for us, God, what he's given to us, God, what he has taught us, ought always be greater unity than our grief with another. You can't say this but not live this and expect God to be honored. Because church, our unity matters to God. So this morning we have to understand that a call to worship is a call to reconciliation. Can we put it this way? Worship requires humility. Worship requires humility with each other. Christian, the glory of our God has to be worth more than your grief with your brother. Sometimes the things we get hung up on are so silly. Sometimes the things we get hung up on are pretty heavy. But you know, it really doesn't matter if it's silly or it's heavy because Jesus has some striking things to say about those things which, which, which divide us, those things that we feel grieve us and separate us. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 23, Jesus said this, if, thou bring your, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember, so you're here to worship God and you remember that your brother hath ought against you. What do we do? Finish worshiping and then go take care of it. No. Leave your gift before the altar, go thy way, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Why? Because our unity matters to God. And a true call to worship is a real call to reconciliation. Jesus in Matthew 6 and verse number 15 said this, If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Boy, Jesus had some striking things to say there. 
I think Paul had some incredibly direct things to say as well. Romans 12 and verse number 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. As it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. In other words, when we carry around these griefs and wrongs and burdens that don't belong to us, they belong to God. Paul goes so far as to say in 1 Corinthians 6, now, Hear this, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 6. He says, brother goeth to brother with law, and that before unbelievers. And so we have this situation in Corinth where brothers in Christ are suing one another at the law. You'd have to think that would be a pretty, that's not your kid bit my kid in the nursery. That's something more serious, right? Verse number 7. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law with one another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer or allow yourselves to be defrauded? That this thing of unity matters so much to God, that we ought to allow ourselves even to the point of to be defrauded, and not take one another to law, to deal with things within the church. Preacher, are you saying there's problems here? Yeah, because there's problems everywhere. Some of us, there are people, we, when we see them, our spirits go, oh. Maybe they didn't talk to us. Maybe they talked to us too much. Maybe they, you fill in the blank. Maybe their kid did bite your kid in the nursery. I don't know. We'll be there soon. But a call to worship is a call to Reconciliation. Christian, let it go. Christian, give it to God. It belongs to Him. Christian, go to your brother and get it right. Here's the thing. If we really want God to get real with us, maybe it's high time we got real with each other. Ephesians 4 and verse number 32 says this, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Worship requires humility. It's a call to reconciliation. All right, I got to move a little quicker, or we will not beat the Methodist to the buffet. All right, worship, a call to worship. Number one, it is a call to renewal. Number two, it is a call to Reconciliation. Look with me at verse number 32. The Bible says, And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. It is a call, number three, to reverence. To reverence. Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. Now the nation of Israel was stuck on a fence. Elijah depicted them as, as one who was halt or, or limping between two opinions. Uh, they, between Baal and Jehovah. Who would they worship? Who would they follow? Who would they serve? And the call of Elijah, the call to worship this morning, and the call of worship in Elijah's day was to get it settled. Who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping God, and are, or are you worshiping Baal or someone else? Now, before you look down your holier-than-thou bifocals on the nation of Israel, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Baal was the god of prosperity and pleasure. He sent the rain. He was responsible for the growth of the crops. 
He, he was supposedly responsible for, for fertility in humans. His, his, his worship there in the temples of Baal was rooted in sensuality and involved ritualistic prostitution. And so Baal was a god of prosperity and pleasure. Boy, hmm. Prosperity and pleasure sounds an awful lot like what our culture still worships today. We don't call it Baal anymore. But it sounds a whole lot like what our culture is running after today. And if we're honest, it sounds a whole lot like what a lot of Christians are chasing today. I want to be prosperous and and I want to have pleasure in my life. But I'm going to tell you, this call to choose, to choose whom you will worship is a call that has reverberated throughout Scripture, and it is a call that has reverberated throughout time. In Deuteronomy, Moses called the children of Israel to that choice. He said, I set before you this day, he said, I set before you life and death. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse number 19. And he encouraged them to choose life, to serve the Lord. Verse number 20. Joshua In Joshua 24, in verse number 15, he said this, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the Lord God, or are you going to serve the false gods that their father served on the other side of the river? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, in verse number 24, said something similar. He said, uh, Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters. Church, this is true today. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. In church, a call to worship is a call to reverence. Can I put it this way? Worship requires hunger. That I hunger for the right thing. Can I ask us this morning, church, do I really hunger for and want God more than I want prosperity. Am I willing to let go of prosperity if that means I can have more of God? Am I really hungering for God more than I hunger for pleasure? Am I willing to go without the pleasure of this world if it means I might gain more God? Worship requires we hunger for the right things. That we hunger for God alone. Notice one of the options wasn't God and Baal. It wasn't God and prosperity. It wasn't God and pleasure. It wasn't some mix of the two. It was God or Baal. Well, can't we have both, preacher? Can't we, can't we live in such a way that we're mostly for God, but, but we make sure we hedge our bets on this side too? I offer the words of Jesus, Matthew 16 and verse number 25, Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 25, he said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Luke 14 and verse 33, Jesus said, likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath. He cannot be my disciple. 
You see, the call to worship is not a call for God and anything. It is a call to hunger after God alone. You know, something happens in my heart and life when I settle what my wows are. Recently, I saw a Papa John's commercial. My heart said, wow. That looks good. You know what I've wanted ever since? Papa John's, specifically. Most any pizza would do. Mom and Dad, most any pizza would do. That's another play out of David Weirich's handbook, right? Right, preacher? Okay. But man, I saw that commercial and I said, wow, that looks good. And so when I went, wow, it kind of directed what I wanted. You know, how long has it been since we looked at God and really said, wow? And really allowed who he was to, to, to wow our hearts and, and, and direct our wants. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah gets an image of God high and lifted up. His, his train filled the temple and uh, the seraphs around the throne. They cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And, uh, and Isaiah was wowed by the holy grandeur and glory of God. So much so that in verse number 8 of Isaiah 6, when, when God came and said, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then said I, Here am I! Send me. Send me. The reality is this morning, if our hearts don't want God like we know we should, it's because our hearts are wowing something else that we probably should not. You can't hunger for everything. Oh, if we're going to answer the call to worship this morning, we're going to have to stop living like if we live for God, we're going to miss out on the good stuff. If I really lived for God, I'd have to miss out on the fun. And if I really lived for God, I'd have to miss out on the friends. And if I really lived for God, I'd have to miss out on some of the stuff with family and things like that. No, that is not the case. Proverbs 10 in verse number 22, the glorious scripture says, The blessings of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Life apart from God is so empty. But when God becomes our true hunger, what happens? I find that I finally know what it is to live filled. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Might I put it to, this way, to us this way this morning? If we really want God to get real with us, then maybe it's high time we got real with ourselves and what we're really living for. Because worship requires that righteous hunger. It is a call to reverence. You with me this morning? Say amen. amen. You're listening great. A call to worship, number one, is a call to renewal. Worship requires honesty. If we want God to get real with us, we've got to get real with him. Number two, call to worship is a call to reconciliation. Why? Because worship requires humility. If we want God to get real with us, we've got to get real with one another. Number three, worship is a call to Reverence, it is a call to a righteous hunger. If we want God to get real with us, we've got to get real with ourselves. Bonus time, number four. 
A call to worship is a call to reliance. I'll summarize for sake of time this morning, but if you look at verses 33 through 37, we see that Elijah put his bullock on the altar, that he dug a trench around it, and that he dumped four barrels of water on it three times. Twelve barrels of water. So much so that the water ran round about the altar, filled the trench, and then Elijah prayed. You know, I love what Elijah did. In essence, he stacked the deck against himself. What was he asking the Lord to send down from heaven? Fire, right? Fire and water. Tell me, good combination, bad combination. Damp wood. Ideal or not ideal? And so Elijah was stacking the deck against himself. Moreover, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. You know how precious water is if it hadn't rained in three and a half years? And so not only did he stack the deck against himself in a practical standpoint, if this didn't work, a lot of people were going to be mad at him because he wasted a lot of precious water. Could we put it this way? If God didn't show up, Elijah was in big trouble. He would have been humiliated and he would have been under attack. If God didn't show up, Elijah was in big trouble. By the way, that's still true. If God doesn't show up, we're still in big trouble. Jesus was clear. John 15, 5. Without him, we can do nothing. And yet we understand so little of this because we're rarely desperate enough to need God. Just talking honestly as Americans this morning. We are rarely desperate enough to need God. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, Jesus said what? Give us this day our daily bread. How many of you legitimately had to ask for daily bread today? You didn't know where it was going to come from. God, if I'm going to eat, you're going to have to provide it. Nope. The vast majority of us looked at several different types of cereals or bagels or oatmeal or, or maybe all, all of those choices were available to you today. And none of us probably had to wonder, where is my daily bread going to come from? Boy, I hope God sends it. We don't wonder where our food's going to come from. We don't wonder where our shelter is going to come from. Most of us don't wonder where our transportation is going to come from. And it may not have been our first choice, but it gets us from point A to point B. Most of us don't live in desperate need of our health. And so what we find is, as Americans, it is fairly easy to live independent from God. And yet the call to worship is a call to reliance. Because true worship requires hope. That my hope totally be in God. My expectation is of the Lord. God is not our backup plan. God is not our backup plan, church. My hope is not in a November election. My hope is not in a job. My hope It is not in the stock market. My hope is not in my health. My hope is not in you. And please don't put your hope in me. Because our hope must be of God. He is our only hope. 
It's not God and my strength, God and my wisdom, God and my planning. No. If God doesn't show up, we're in big trouble. But we plan and we scheme and we program and we work. And and the reality is the practical way we live is if God wants to chip in, that would be a great thing. But that's not how we worship. That's not worship that God would receive. Real worship requires our hope be in God. And so if we want God to get real with us, perhaps it's time that we get real about our situation. If God doesn't show up, my marriage is in trouble. If God doesn't show up, my kids are in trouble. If God doesn't show up, my neighborhood's in trouble. If God doesn't show up, this church is in trouble. If God doesn't show up, my health's in trouble. If God doesn't show up, my peace is in trouble. If God doesn't show up, we're in big trouble. Amen? Amen. God calls us to understand this truth. In Zechariah chapter 4 and verse number 6, we're reminded not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Worship requires hope in God. It is a call to reliance. Number five. Getting ready to land the plane, amen? Call to worship. Number one, it is a call to renewal. Let's get honest with God. Number two, it is a call to... We need to be humble with one another. Number three, it is a call to... Reverence. We need to hunger with a righteous hunger. Number four, it is a call to reliance. Where's your hope at today? Number five, look at verse 38 and 39. I'll jump back to verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God call to worship. It is a call to renewal. It is a call to reconciliation. It is a call to reverence. It is a call to reliance. But finally, it is a call to response. It is a call to a response. The fire from the Lord fell and it consumed everything. Hey, when God shows up, there is no doubt. When God shows up, there is no doubt because Jesus changes everything. So the call to worship is a call to respond. When God shows up, there is no doubt. And so worship requires us to heed what God is doing and to heed what God is saying. Because when the fire of God falls, it will change things. It will change things in us. It will change things around us. Can I tell you, when God shows up, when God shows up, when the fire falls as it is, the fire is not given to warm your heart. In other words, God doesn't show up just to make you feel good. Doesn't show up just to make me feel good. Can I tell you, the fire comes that we might do something with it. What happened when the fire fell? Hearts 
that needed turned to God were turned to God. Verse number 39, the people who had limped, the people who had been on the fence, they fell on their face and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. What happens when the fire falls? Hearts that need turned to God will turn to God. What happens? Sin that needs to be dealt with will be dealt with. Verse number 40, the Bible says, Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Some of you are like, well, boy, that seems harsh. Well, no, because they were false prophets. And number two, they had the opportunity to fall on their face in verse number 39 and say, the Lord, he is God too. And they did not. And when you reject God, there are consequences. What happens when the fire falls? Hearts that need turned to God get turned to God. Sin that needs dealt with will be dealt with. What happens when the fire falls? Praise that needs to be offered to God for his blessings will be offered. Verse number 41, Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. In other words, the blessing of God is coming back. But the call to worship, it's a call to respond. Because worship requires us to heed. To heed what God is doing. To heed what God is saying. And if I might put it this way by way of conclusion this morning. If we want God to get real with us. Then it's simply time we get real. Enough of the form without the fire. Worship is more than a few songs at the beginning of a service. I'm going to tell you what we're about to do by way of invitation is genuinely a greater worship than anything you sang earlier. Why? Because in a moment we have the opportunity to demonstrate just how worthy we feel God is. Because we have the opportunity to respond to His voice this morning. The Holy Spirit speaking this morning. Some of us, we know we need to be honest with God. There are things in our life that we need to get right. And this morning we need to repair the altar. Some of us this morning, we know that that we are holding on to things, griefs against our brothers that don't belong to us. And we need to respond with some humility this morning. Let it go. Get it right. Some of us this morning, we need to to, to determine that reverence, that righteous hunger. We need to say, God, I don't wow you like I should. God, I'm, I'm looking at the things of this world, and God, I want you. God, help me to want you more. And some of us this morning need to respond to that. Some of us need to rely on God. But What we're about to do is actually greater worship than any song we could sing. Because worship that truly brings the presence and the purity and the power and the pleasure of God on our lives comes when we learn to respond to God's voice. So I ask us this morning, how has God spoken to you? I've not given a lot of specifics, but the Holy Spirit has been specific with you. How do you need to respond to God today? I don't know about you, but I want God's presence in my life. I want God's presence in this church. I want God's purifying work in my life. I want God's purifying work in this church. I want God's power in my life. I want God's power on this church. I want God to be pleased with me. I want God to be pleased with us. And church, if that's what we want,
we can't afford to settle for the form without the fire. I wonder, will you answer the call to worship today?